Welcome to Newest Latest Best, the quick daily show to keep you in the know with all the newest information, latest releases, and the very best that games have to offer. I'm Jeff Kanata, and today is Wednesday, September 20th, 2017. There seems to be some energy and movement in the last few weeks around uh, trying to address the level of toxicity and vile behavior in the video game community. This is something I've been very much concerned with for a long time now. Um, I try to maintain a positive message and try to remind people to be aware of what they put out into the world and use it to make the world a better place. And I'm glad to see game companies uh, recognizing this issue. It's certainly not new, but there definitely seems to be some new approaches to the issue, uh, particularly from Blizzard. The most recent update to Overwatch that went live on Xbox One has a new plan on how to deal with uh, players who have reached the lowest level of reputation in Overwatch, the Avoid Me level, which uh, you it, it takes a lot of work to get down there. <laughs> you have to really be a pretty vile human being. The good news is, finding yourself in a game with those players who have reached the Avoid Me level means you won't have to listen to them anymore. As of this new patch, Overwatch players at the Avoid Me level are no longer able to use in-game voice chat. Now, they are still being put in the same matchmaking pool as the rest of the player base on that platform, so you are just as likely to run into these players as you would before, and a lot of people preferred when the Avoid Me players were grouped in their own pool but that did result in higher matchmaking times. It re- reduced the total number of players that you were eligible to play with. And so uh, Blizzard has decided to try this alternate philosophy of allowing them to play with you, yes, but you just don't have to listen to them. The patch went live yesterday, and the reaction has been mixed. I'm wondering what you guys think. Is it enough to just silence those players and not let them poison your ears with their stream of uh, incessant garbage? Or do you want to just not play with them at all? I wonder what what the better philosophy is. I certainly don't like long matchmaking times. That's a frustrating thing to deal with in any video game. But I don't know if I'm willing to trade that off to just partition these people off into their own walled garden of garbage. Uh, There was an interesting tweet from... Jonathan Blow about this, the designer of Braid and um, The Witness, he said that the only way that there will be any change in in player behavior is if it has in-game competitive repercussions. His suggestion is if you get enough complaints, you don't do the same amount of damage as everybody else. Your damage actually goes down. You have a modifier for damage and you're only you know, doing 0.7 or 0.5 the amount of damage as everybody else, and you are more likely to die. You uh, So basically, your difficulty <laughs> uh, slider changes. That's an interesting take, and I think it would probably uh, affect a lot of gamers. Uh, if, if literally your performance in the game was affected, if you uh, act like an ass, I don't know. I think it's a bold uh, suggestion, certainly not one that any game developer has adopted yet but i wonder what you guys think about this do you encounter a lot of toxicity in the games you play are you hoping to eliminate it do you have any good ideas about that
I'd love to hear what you think. You can send Collins to me. It's an interesting discussion to be had. Meanwhile, over on Steam, a different but related issue is being addressed. Many of you are aware of the controversy surrounding Campo Santo, the creators of Firewatch, and their response to PewDiePie being a complete D-bag on his very popular channel. We actually dove into this topic uh, in a very deep way on the most recent episode of my other video game show, DLC, which you can find at 5x5.tv slash DLC. I've gotten a lot of feedback about that, and uh, we, we, we really got into it. It was a pretty um, an intense discussion about all of the ramifications of the Digital Millennial Copyright Act and how Campo Santo is using that, and really the awful, awful behavior that PewDiePie seems to be unable to get himself out of. Not a person I would uh, suggest anyone support in any way, but it's an interesting topic. Now, the fallout of what Camposanto did, which was to file a DMCA claim against PewDiePie's YouTube channel for their game, Firewatch, uh, was that there was a whole bunch of disgruntled fans of PewDiePie, people that really put their energy in the wrong place, in my opinion, uh, have decided that the best way to deal with this is to bomb the Steam reviews of Firewatch and try to give it negative scores based on some sort of stance that they feel is important to make. So in response... Steam has unveiled a new policy. They are uh, implementing a histogram on user reviews so you can look back and see the pattern of reviews over time. You'll notice if you look at the histogram of the Firewatch reviews that at a certain point, i.e. the date that this all went down with PewDiePie, the reviews spike in a dramatic way to negative. So a conscientious buyer who wants to make an informed decision about whether a game is good or not need not just look at the review score, the user review score, and say, oh, this is getting a lot of negative reviews. They can actually look over a the, the pattern of time and see, oh, people really liked this up to a certain date, and after that date, they didn't like it. Why is that? Uh, and you can see that these it, it potentially short-circuits a lot of these review bomb campaigns uh, so that people actually go, oh, people really liked this game, and then some sort of BS that had nothing to do with the quality of the game resulted in a very vocal minority uh, doing some stupid, stupid things on, on this timeline. I think this is a pretty interesting, helpful tool in allowing people to make uh, more informed decisions. Uh, the end result, actually, people have noticed is that these review bombs don't even actually negatively impact sales of games. They're really futile masturbatory exercises on the part of the participants. But, uh, you know, that, that you can describe the Internet that way in a, in a large sense. So I'm not particularly surprised. Perhaps you can tell the general disdain in my voice for, for all of this. I, I'm, I'm glad Steam is addressing the issue in some concrete way. Uh, I'm not sure it's going to fix anything. Uh, I think there are uh, much bigger things that need to happen to address the level of garbage behavior in the video game community, but at least this tool allows people to understand what's going on in a little bit more direct way. 
Okay, on to more positive things. Let's talk about Divinity Original Sin 2 and this question that comes from Rob that he sent in as a call-in. Hi, Jeff. This is uh, Rob from Essex in the UK, a uh, long-term listener, big fan of all your work, right back to uh, Weekend Confirmed and the Totally Rad Show. Uh, I just wanted to ask about uh, Divinity Original Sin 2. Um, I played the first game on your recommendation, as well as many other people <laughs> telling me it was good. And um, I, I just wanted to ask, did you finish that game? Because, um, you know, I, by the end, I, I found it uh, incredibly frustrating, like the lack of signposting and uh, the final boss encounter in particular was like real buggy mess. And while I enjoyed certain aspects of that game, uh, like all the the combat especially, I found like the storytelling to be a bit of a mess and, and all the lore and stuff like I, I've been listening to you talking about lore was very lore heavy at the end and um, yeah I just wondered if the uh, second one was any more of an improvement. Uh, love your work. Uh, thanks. Thanks for the call in Rob. Yeah I loved the first Divinity Original Sin as I've said many many times it was my game of the year that year but you're right that final boss battle is very frustrating. I beat my head against that wall many, many, many hours and uh, finally did finish the game. But oh my goodness, uh, it, it, yes, it did, uh, it did collapse under its own weight uh, a little bit there at the end. And uh, I actually ended up reading some online strategy guides and, and hints to help me defeat that last boss because it was – it was brutal. I, I mean, I lost over and over and over again, and it made me sour a little bit on the entire experience, but the course of the game was just so strong. Yes, the storytelling was a little all over the place, although I, I don't even know if I would have that criticism of it. I loved the storytelling. I, I loved the individual quests and uh, all of the mystery surrounding how the game begins and that, that fun way it keeps you in that town at the beginning but until you solve that mystery. I loved it, but I will say, at least in my early time, I'm just at the end of Act 1. I'm about to start Act 2 of Divinity Original Sin 2. So I'm a little early yet to give you a complete take on, on that game, but I think the story is already much clearer, much more accessible. The game doesn't gate you quite as severely. I mean, you're, you're trapped in Fort Joy at the beginning of 2, uh, the kind of the way you were trapped in the town at the beginning of 1, but... Uh, it makes more sense. It is much more relatable. There's a very direct understanding of who you are and how you fit. And, you, you know, you have this collar that restricts your magic ability and you understand why. I think the game does a great job of expressing all of that stuff. But don't take my word for it. I have a great call-in from Jeff who talks about how cool some of the decision-making is and the ramifications and the storytelling that Divinity Original Sin 2 employs. So listen to him tell you how cool it is. Hey, Jeff. It's Jeff from the Too Old for This podcast. Uh, I have to share a quick Divinity Original Sin 2 story. My five-year-old daughter loves watching games. She especially loves the beginning of games. So she was sitting with me through the prologue. She got so into the story and so freaked out by the impending shipwreck that she kept pushing me, get off, get off the boat, get off the boat, get off the boat. And so I did. And so now I am stuck with consequences of a decision I would not normally make in a game, and it's astounding to watch the game, these little things of people calling me out for, hey, you let a whole bunch of people die. What an amazing accomplishment they have. Uh, I'm only a few hours in, but I can't wait to see the rest. Keep up the good work. Talk to you later. 